If you have a Bible or Bible app, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5 this morning. And uh, as Ken mentioned, we're starting a new teaching series today that will lead us right up uh, till Christmas. It's called The Table, and uh, it's a look at the life and ministry of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, and specifically focusing in on the meals that Jesus shares with various people throughout Luke's gospel. And so you may have noticed this if you've paid careful attention reading through Luke before, that really the entire narrative follows the flow of, uh, of a series of meals. And so Jesus is constantly uh, sharing the table with his disciples or with Pharisees or sometimes a great banquet or sometimes an intimate supper. But all the way through Luke's gospel, there's these key stories that revolve around a shared meal around a table. In fact, one out of every five sentences in Luke's gospel has Jesus involved in a meal of some kind. So either he's heading to a meal, or sharing a meal, or leaving a meal in 20% of the sentences in Luke's gospel. So the table plays a really central role in the way the writer of Luke goes about helping us understand who Jesus is and the nature of his work and his life and and his ministry. And so um, just by way of kind of emphasizing how how central meal sharing is, in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, Jesus says this about himself, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus, when describing how he has come into the world, doesn't say the Son of Man came teaching or preaching or healing and blessing. He says, I came eating and drinking. So much so that the people around him accused him of eating too much and drinking too much. Okay, so to me, this... this, is really fascinating when you look at the person of Jesus. And I think it means he would really like a city like Bend, right? (laughs) A lot of good food, a lot of good drink. And if Jesus were in Bend today and you wanted to find him, you would probably just kind of go from brewery to restaurant to to the lot or wherever, because it seems like that's where he likes to spend his time, sharing meals. Eating and drinking, the Son of Man comes. So just, you know, by way of helping you get to know me, it's probably pretty obvious by looking at me, this is a, way, a place where I'm very serious about being Christ-like. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be a drunkard or glutton, but if you think I am, then it feels like I'm in good company with Jesus. So I know that's weird, but <laughs> I love Bend. So Luke's entire narrative revolves around these various meals Jesus shares. He comes eating and drinking. And even to make the point even stronger, at the end of the story in Luke 24, after Jesus has been crucified, buried, risen from the dead, a couple of his disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus, and Jesus himself, post-resurrection, shows up and walks along with them. And they're talking with him and walking for miles, and they don't recognize him. They don't know who this guy is until finally in Luke 24, verse 30, they sit down and they share a meal. And it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him 
and he disappeared from their sight. So when did they finally recognize Jesus? At the table. That's when they remembered him. That's when there was something so familiar and undeniable about who this is. Because he had spent his entire life sharing meals with them and others at the table. And finally, post-resurrection, when they get to share a meal with him, that's when he was recognized by them. Okay, so Jesus undeniably lives this life that revolves around meal sharing, amongst other things. Now, even non-Christian Bible scholars would say if there's anything we can know about the historical Jesus from the Gospels, it's that he spent a lot of time sharing meals with people. So, there's a lot we could say about that that maybe raises some questions for you, but I, I want to simply just kind of look at one idea or one explanation for why meal sharing might have been so central in Jesus' life, and it's the significance of the table. In pretty much every culture, it's symbolic of relationship, right? To sit at a table to enjoy a meal together is a sign of friendship or of fellowship, right? So in our culture especially, if you grew up in a family that had a, a family dinner, that this, it's kind of this sacred place as a family where you define yourself or you're defined in relationship to those around you, right? Or in our culture, if a guy's going to ask a girl out on a first date, it's typically to sit at a table together, to share a meal or a cup of coffee or something. So to invite someone to the table is an invitation to relationship an invitation to be vulnerable together, to begin to share life together. And so you have this table playing a central role in Luke's gospel, and the picture is that Jesus is inviting all these various kinds of people into relationship with himself. And unless you are wanting to engage in relationship with somebody, it's a pretty awkward thing to share a table. If Jen and I are out for dinner and some dude comes up and asks if he can sit with us, that's a pretty awkward situation, isn't it? Now, if we're on a bus and somebody sits by us, that's not a big deal. But to share the table, there's something intimate, something vulnerable about that. And so we have Jesus throughout Luke's gospel inviting different people, sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees, teachers of the law, his disciples, members of his own family, to come and to dine with him to find themselves in relationship with him, to be vulnerable with him, to eat with him. And so my hope is that over these next nine weeks, as we look at one meal with Jesus each week, that we're going to be able to find ourselves in these stories. And some of these stories are going to confront us, and others are going to comfort us. And my hope is that we'll become the kind of people who, as a way of life, are able to hear Jesus calling us to come and to eat with him, to relate to him deeply and even to be defined in relationship with him, and that we would also be transformed into the kind of people that extend that gracious, inclusive invitation to the people around us in this city. Okay, so that's where we're going for the next nine weeks, looking at one meal each week. And this morning, we're going to start off in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, in verse 27. And I'll read uh, 
through verse 32, just to give us the whole, the whole story here. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We pray with me. Father, we are so thankful for the chance to be gathered here this morning as your body, as the bride of your son. Thankful for each person that's here today and for this moment to call our attention to your son. So we thank you for your presence here and for the invitation that we have to come and to dine with you, to find ourselves in you. So I pray that your spirit would be full and powerful in our midst this morning, that you would soften our hearts and open our minds to be able to hear from you and respond in faith and obedience. And I pray that you would use our time in your word today to continue the good work you've started in us, to continue to form the life of Christ within us. So we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in 1537, there was this Venetian painter by the name, by the name of Veronese. And he was commissioned by this convent in Venice to paint a huge Last Supper that would replace one that had been destroyed in a fire. And so he's given this blank canvas that's 18 feet tall, 42 feet wide, and they call on him to paint a Last Supper. Some, they had in mind something simpler, similar to Da Vinci. And so he's, he goes to work, he paints this painting, and then he unveils it. And the Church of Rome is ticked. You can go back to the big one. The Church of Rome is ticked because this is not at all what they had in mind. Now, it's hard to tell probably from where you are, but there is a table there with Jesus in the middle and his original disciples spread out. But then all around the edges and mixed in along the, along the table are all these other characters. And, and there's some really unexpected characters at this table, right? Some of them are from kind of ancient times, the days of Jesus, but others of them are in modern Venetian or other cultural attire. And so when Veronese un, unveils this thing, everybody's upset because they believe that he's taken this sacred, holy moment of Jesus' Last Supper and he's totally ruined it by adding all these weird and unexpected people. So they actually put him on trial for heresy. 
okay? And so they, I mean, this is during the Roman Inquisition, so they're pretty serious about protecting the church's doctrine. And you can actually find the entire transcript of the trial online, and it's fascinating because the dude is such a smart aleck, right? So they, they go, you know, why did you include these dwarves and these jesters and these Arabs? And worst of all, if you can see in the bottom right-hand corner, these drunken Germans. Like, what were you thinking? Why would you include them in this sacred moment? And his response is, I had extra room on the canvas, right? <laughs> and so they go, this, we can't have this. So they say, you've got three months to make this right. Okay, so Veronese goes back to the canvas, and he does one thing. The next slide, on the, on the column on the front right, you can't really see, but very, at the very top, he adds this inscription, Luke chapter 5. And he changes the name of the painting to Dinner at Levi's House. <laughs> <laughs> and the Inquisition doesn't say another word. <laughs> and I just, I love the story, especially as it helps us to understand this original story that we have here that you have the Roman Inquisition following into the same trap, amongst many, falling into the same trap as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are there observing Jesus, inviting sinners and tax collectors to the table. And so they had this belief that there was only this certain select, sanitized group of people that Jesus should be spending his time with. And Jesus seems to have no problem at all inviting all different kinds of people that don't fit the mold of what we'd expect to come and to enjoy fellowship with him. So he says, bring on the sinners, the tax collectors, the jesters, the Germans. They're all welcome here at this table. And it's really uncomfortable for many of us. Because some of us believe the lie that Jesus is only interested in people like us. So think about all of the horrible, racist, or oppressive movements throughout the history of ch the church that in the name of Christ, Christians have excluded or oppressed or murdered those who are unlike them, believing that God only likes people like us. But what we see in Jesus is a picture of a God who has a big table and invites all different kinds of people from all different backgrounds and cultures and lifestyles to come and to find life and to be defined in relationship with his son. And so this is why I would believe, and I know, Antioch, you would, believe, you would agree, that the church of Jesus should be the most inclusive and diverse community of people in the world. That the church of Jesus should be the place where the rich and the poor and the young and the old and black and white and everything in between 
come together around the table of Jesus. Where the things that would define and divide us in in the world around us are laid down and that we are made brothers and sisters in Christ around the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. And in order to enter in to that kind of reality and to that kind of life, it's going to confront things about us. It's going to confront some assumptions that we bring. But there's this beautiful thing that happens when we hear and receive Christ's invitation and recognize that he's calling those around us as well to come and find ourselves in him. And so just in terms of a real practical application that may be uncomfortable but worth thinking about, on average, most of us are going to eat 21 meals this next week. How many of those meals would you share with people not like you? How many meals will you share this week with somebody you may not have five years ago? Is the gospel changing you in such a way that you are becoming more like Christ in someone who is able to welcome the other, the sinner, the tax collector, whoever that may be? Because the truth is we all have different kinds of people or groups of people that make us uncomfortable. We all have someone that it's really hard for us to believe that Jesus cares about them as much as he cares about us. So maybe it's those who vote differently than you or live differently than you or believe differently than you. Maybe it's people of a certain race or culture or lifestyle that makes you uncomfortable. Who is it that you have a hard time believing is invited to Jesus' table? Is it liberals or rednecks or duck fans? Right? (laughs) And then for others of us, or maybe at the same time, I should say, while some of us believe that Jesus is only interested in people like us, others of us believe that Jesus would never be interested in people like us. And so we see ourselves as the outcast, as the reject, as the sinner in the story. And some are here today and Even just being here in a church service feels incredibly weird. And you're not sure if you're supposed to be here. You're not sure if you should have cleaned up your act or gotten things together before you showed up today. The incredible good news is that Jesus welcomes the sinner. Essentially just saying, I don't care where you've been or how you've been living or who you are, this invitation to come and to find life relationship to me is open to everyone. Which has huge implications for the way we would live and relate to one another as the church. That we would find the freedom to be honest and vulnerable about our own sin. Understanding that it's not the righteous that Jesus is calling, but the sinful. And we would want to be included in that. And so the tragedy of what's pretty common in American evangelicalism is that we have this reputation for being self-righteous, for being hypocritical, for being judgmental, for being people that are really quick to point out the sin of others, but really slow to acknowledge our own. 
And so I'll share with you one of my favorite quotes by Martin Luther. He says, beware of wanting to be so pure that you won't seem to be a sinner. For Christ dwells only in sinners. So it's a beautiful opportunity to gather here on a Sunday, not because we have it together, but as an acknowledgement that we don't. Not because we're the good and the right and the holy, but because we acknowledge we are here as those in need of Christ's love and forgiveness and reconciliation into relationship with him and with others. What an incredible invitation. And the hope is that the time we would spend here on Sunday mornings in worship, in prayer, in scripture, in fellowship, that that would begin to spill over into the other six days of the week. That we'd find ourselves with a big table. That we would find ourselves sharing life deeply as members of God's family and find ourselves in family relationship with people we never would have chosen. So I believe that the Christian community is not truly what it's called to be until there's someone there who you wish wasn't. Until you find yourself sharing life deeply with somebody that you never would have chosen, but are acknowledging that God has chosen them, chosen us for each other, so that we can just get a bigger grasp on God's grace and love and power to reconcile. So I'm excited to begin this journey with you guys. Ken and I will kind of be tag-teaming over the next nine weeks. Excited to share meals with you guys and to share life and to, to grow as a community as we learn to receive the invitation of Jesus and extend it to one another and to the world around us. So we stand and pray with me. If you know me, a short sermon is a very rare thing. So this is my welcome gift to you, and it won't happen again. So, Father, thank you so much for the divine invitation we have in you. And I'm thankful to be here in this family. And I would pray that your spirit would give us a vision of Jesus that would not only confront our self-righteousness, but would comfort us in our sin, that would allow us to become a vulnerable and an honest people with you, with ourselves, with each other. I pray that you would help us to expand our table, to invite our friends and neighbors, and those around us that are nothing like us, to come and to experience your grace and reconciliation in simple acts of eating and drinking. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make us one as you are one. And that as a church, we would be able to be a physical embodiment of your presence and your good news to the people in the city of Bend. That they would experience you in us as we live amongst them in love for you and others. So we love you, we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.